One of Thompson's aims is to enable producers to deliver on the world's targets when it comes to the circular plastic economy. As part of these efforts, I am very pleased to introduce our new Circular Plastic podcast, where we will be engaging with both major market players and industry experts to share knowledge and best practices. Hi, Mikola, and welcome. So we have a, a new adventure together ahead of us. Yes, I'm so pleased to be here, Milica. Why don't you just give an introduction about yourself? I will. So my name is Milica Folic, and I'm working for Topso, a Danish technology licensor. I'm working as a product line director for our hydroprocessing technology, which uh, reshapes the renewable fuels landscape through renewable diesel and sustainable aviation fuels. And also, uh, what some people maybe do not know, hydro-treating is also very relevant for circular plastics as the part of upgrading plastic pyrolysis oils to NAFTA for the new plastic production. I've been with Topso for 16 years in a number of different roles, in technical roles to start with, and then moving on to business development, strategy and innovation. And my name is Michaela Krupp. I have also been with Topsy for 16 years and followed more or less the same path as Milica. We have been parallel in this. Started out in R&D after I finished my PhD in chemistry, uh, went on to business development, proceeded to a commercial role as a product line director for our hydroprocessing technology space. And most recently, I became the senior director of our commercial excellence and marketing, still with a very keen interest in our renewable solutions. So Melissa, we've decided to do a podcast about circular plastics. So do you want to give some of the reasons for this? Yes, I think it's basically a space that is developing really fast. That is very important because plastics is all around us and in so many products we use on a daily basis. And as such also calls for a sustainable solution. So we thought that there would be so many things to address and so many interesting stories to bring to the audience. I also think that when we're looking at circular plastics, it's a little bit like looking at the renewable fuels area five years ago, because this is an emerging field. Yes, well, I agree. I mean, there's a lot of activity, but it is somehow localized, I think, in Europe. However, the world is uh, sort of boiling and things are just about to happen. I agree. So plastic is produced in extreme quantities. It is everywhere in our daily life. And it is a challenge we have all seen the videos of plastic floating in the ocean, plastic floating in rivers, plastic showing up all kinds of unexpected places. Combined with that is the fact that the majority of plastic is from fossil sources. And when we're looking to decarbonize, we simply need to reuse more of the plastic so we don't need to increase our use of fossil resources to produce the plastic. Yes, you're right. I mean, you can't really decarbonize the plastic because it's, you know, carbon it's is carbon. its uh, <laughs> building block, right? Uh, I mean, not in the way that you can probably the transportation, or at least light transportation. But uh, I mean, plastic, you're right. We have about 300 million tons of plastics produced per year. And uh, with the predominant two polymers being polyethylene and polypropylene, polyolefins, common name. And Actually, there are reports saying that that 
number is going to double or even triple going on to, to 2050. So it's it's very important that you are able to tap into that carbon and don't continue defaulting to fossil resources for any new plastic. Yeah. And also we, we see this challenge that recycling the plastic is not always taking place. No, no, not at all. I mean, essentially the plastic economy is linear today, right? It's not circular at all. So you have your fossil feedstock, as you said, let's say uh, oil, you refine it to nafta. Nafta is then cracked in the steam cracker to polyolefins. You polymerize that, you get plastic. But it's the end of life of that plastic that somehow needs to tie back into the very beginning, right? So what happens today, unfortunately, is that most of the plastic is, first of all, not used sustainable. Probably there's a lot that can be done there. And then you have, as you mentioned, okay, leakage into the nature, plastics in the oceans. You have incineration, sometimes completely without any energy recovery. You have landfills, which are often unmanaged, again, leaking into the environment. So it's really about closing that loop that is very important. And recycling is the key. Yeah, and I think the whole point is that we need the solutions because we cannot say, okay, we're just going to ban all plastic because that would have a significant impact on our lifestyle. And I, and I simply don't think people would agree. I also have, have a challenge saying how you can make a smartphone without the use of plastic? How can you make a car without the use of plastic? So plastic is here to stay. It's just a question, or it's not just a question, but it's a question of simply ensuring that we are in control of it and that we are not using more fossil uh, resources than necessary and hopefully going to use less. Yes, that's the key somehow, right? Because as you say, plastics is good in so many ways. It's a brilliant material for many, many applications, and uh, we just need to find the way to produce it in a yes. more sustainable fashion. So when we're looking at plastic and collecting plastic, so what is the next step after collecting the plastics? As a lot of us do, at least in Denmark, we have trash cans where you can put in the plastic. Yes. So obviously, okay, you have collection from many different sources. But again, the consumer packaging is what we see, right? Being collected, that's relatively easy. But then you have, you know, plastics that maybe comes as scrap from certain production processes. Um, you have yeah, pre-consumer plastic that is not put on the market and so on. So I think there's more to be done within collection. But the next step is, I guess, sorting. Because right now, the state of the art for Recycling of plastic is actually mechanical recycling, and it requires some sorting before you enter the recycling operation. The future will, however, see a palette or sort of a suite of different recycling technologies, which will probably require sorting and maybe some other kind of pretreatment operations. So, Mikola, what is chemical recycling? Interesting question. Chemical recycling can be so many things. It's also called advanced recycling or molecular recycling. As we say in Denmark, a love child has many names. This is the same for this one. When you're looking at plastic, it consists of a lot of small parts, monomers, put together to a polymer. Polymer means more or many. 
So you have many of the same units sitting together. So you can do solvolysis, which is a reaction that means that the individual monomers are free again. And then you can put them together again and form new plastic, which is rather fascinating, I think. It is about the plastic going back to resembling an oil or a naphtha that can be then fed into the steam cracker. Especially this area has a keen interest for us at Topsu because we have a technology. Yes, that's true. I mean, we have a pure step technology. I think the name is very descriptive. So it is a purification step where you're trying to bring close together or close the loop between a liquefaction technology, which liquefies plastic, typically through pyrolysis or hydrothermal liquefaction. And then you want to feed naphtha into your steam cracker process. However, in order to be able to do that, you need this purification or upgrading step, um, which is done by hydrotreating, its removal of contaminants, and also tweaking your naphtha to be a suitable for new plastic production. Yes, because the steam crackers, they can accept varying boiling point ranges of naphtha, and you need to accommodate that. And you can do that with hydrotreating or hydrocracking, in total called hydroprocessing. Then... There is a third solution, which is converting the plastic into gas. I think that that, uh, that is actually a good point, because if you do the gas, you have to kind of go via methanol to methanol to olefins. So you skip your whole steam cracker, you go to the end of that process, and you do not necessarily utilize all of the infrastructure that you already have in place for the plastic production. You could also go to fisher Tropsch. Uh, and then you get naphtha, which you can feed into a steam crack. In a way, going to gas deconstructs your molecule the most. Yes, and I think every time we're talking about recycling, plastic recycling, limiting resources, it's also about containing the energy in the molecules. And every time you break a bond, you release energy, I think. But again, it's a matter of what technologies are being developed when. And it also may be that there are some recycled plastics that are more suitable for gasification. And I think that's what we talked about earlier, Melissa. There is no silver bullet. We're going to need all the technologies. True indeed. So what does it take to go to the circular plastic? Now we talked about some of the solutions that are there. I'm thinking about legislation as one part. Well, in general, with sustainability, somehow you need the help yes. of legislation. Things don't happen otherwise no, on but, their own. But don't you agree that we at least see it's a different kind of pull in this industry compared to the fuels, at least up until a few years ago, where sustainable aviation fuel became all the rage for everybody. But this awareness from the brand owners, from the consumers, it's a little bit more advanced at this stage than it was for fuels some years ago. You're right that there's a, definitely a role that the brands play, a role that the public or consumers, as you say, uh, play. And it is somehow aligning, right? After a while, so the recycled content targets, they were on the wish list for a long time, but I think it's finally, the commitment to it is finally matching the ambition, right? If we go back to the legislation, it plays a big role in supporting this. So making that bridge between the public opinion mm -hmm. 
um, drive of sustainable production for something that certainly needs to become more sustainable and these targets. So it needs to enable the brands essentially to also deliver on it. Of course, it's not that they don't need to put any work for that. No, but again, I just reflected on, on, on we're here all the time talking about the consumers. And the fact remains is that the consumer plastic is only a fraction of all the plastic that's being used and produced. So I think that maybe further underlines why the legislation is so important, because we're only going to solve a small part of the problem if we're just looking at the consumer plastic. Yes, but it is the first one, right? It is the low-hanging fruit. There's a lot of packaging around. So mm -hmm. it's both because it's large in volume and because it's somewhat maybe easier to address. And because the drive for recycled content is very high in that industry segment. So it's somehow, again, about stars aligning finally, you know, for that. Yeah, and to, maybe they can pave delivered. the way. But yeah, they're paving the way. There will be certainly expansion of this into other plastic applications. And uh, eventually, I mean, we're talking decades probably, but eventually, yeah, I would hope that we see this everywhere. What about other topics? Uh, industry, investment, do we see anything there? Yeah, I think we see some of the of the larger brand owners. There is an awareness that, that this really needs to have an investment. And it is, again, difficult to say exactly, but we can see some of the major plastic producers have gone out and said that we are going to do chemical recycling. We are going to do uh, something about making plastic more sustainable and circular. So I think we do see uh, industry investment willingness or at least a lot of press releases on that this now has a focus. But what about the technology? I mean, do you think these technologies are ready for deployment or are they maybe not at the same level or at no, the same level? How do you see they that? They are at a multitude of levels. I think if you're looking at, at the most apparent technology, which is pyrolysis, flash pyrolysis, fast pyrolysis of plastic, that is the one that's most abundant in styles. You can actually, I know this for a fact, you can order a pyrolysis plant from China. They exist and you can liquefy your plastic. The question is just what comes out of that process and also, again, what kind of plastic do you feed in? And I think this is where one of the challenges lie. But getting back to the pyrolysis part is it's not that technologically difficult. Yeah, well, I agree that it has been around for uh, many years. <laughs> it's a polite way to say you disagree. <laughs> But I, I totally agree with you that it's it's not a simple answer, right? No. Uh, it will depend on what you put in, uh, on the type of process, what you get out. Yeah, and then I don't think we've seen this much in this area, catalytic pyrolysis. That's a good point. Catalytic pyrolysis of plastic is definitely a little bit behind in terms of TRL, and it can certainly, if it's brought to the market, maybe change some things. Yeah, and then there's hydrothermal liquefaction where you have an aqueous solution uh, that is at a high temperature and at a high pressure. And that is also something that we see in the market in, in various degrees of technology readiness level. Yes, I think that we see sort of one front runner and then uh, The rest is probably still not at commercial scale. Yeah. yeah, but I think also one of the points that we see is that 
One one point is the technology readiness level of the technology itself. That's one thing. Mm-hmm. Another thing is upstream from this. So before you even enter the liquefaction technology, there's a whole a different story about how to handle all this plastic waste. Because if you want to produce a quite large amount of liquefied plastic, you need a really large amount of plastic. And the logistics upstream from that is also a challenge. Yes, and I mean, it's a very good uh, challenge to point out. But referring back to the investment that pet camps or plastic producers and maybe even the brands are making, I think part of it is tapping into that part of the value chain. So making alliances or making acquisitions all the way to waste handlers or mechanical recycling companies where they expect to maybe get the mechanical recycling reject and put it in their plastic recycling operations. Yes, and and then I think when we look at that, okay, let's say that this is in place. We have the technology readiness level. We can handle all the vast amounts of plastic that needs to go into it. Then comes the certification. Like how, how can you be sure that you're recycling the right kinds of plastic? Oh, yes. Yes. I mean, that's super important, right? And uh, comes with the certain degree of uh, transparency and the demand for it. Mm-hmm. And the magic word being the mass balance. Do you yeah. want to say something more about it? I think you should. <laughs> I should. Okay. So mass balance is about putting a certain quantity of recycled plastic in your plastic production operation and claiming the amount of that mass that ends up in new plastic as recycled. So you will have a mix of recycled plastic, typically with fossil, because right now we have very little recycled content, and then you will be able to allocate it to some products. products. So this means that when I look at the soap standing next to the sink and it says 100% recycled plastic, that may not be it? Not that particular bottle necessarily, but you know, for certification purposes, the company that produced it or that put it on the market will need to show that that amount of recycled plastic did enter the plastic operation, the plastic production operation, and will also need to show that it was not ending up as fuel. So it needs to end up as plastic. And how do you do that? Do you do that on an annual basis, on a production run basis, on a monthly basis? How how? I actually don't know. No, I think it's uh, sort of a rolling average of some kind. Okay, so maybe some brand owners, they pay extra to get the 100% recycled and some don't really care. I think it's uh, probably it involves a premium, right? Uh, When you sell that. And and you can see by your reaction, I guess you look at your packaging, right? And maybe even selected this product. Yeah, I think I'm spoiled by my work or... I just I just have an awareness when I th- see stuff that's recycled. I think, okay, it's recycled. But now I know I will not believe that entirely anymore. No, but certification, I think, and these labels, they do miracles also for public opinion and acceptance. Yes, and I think that is uh, very true. And I think also it is also a motivating factor because when I see that this is from recycled, I really want to do more, you know, and make sure to throw that soap bottle into the plastic again so it can sort of keep on being recycled. Yeah, but you really also want to know, right, that it's uh, that it truly is recycled and 
I guess that's where it boils down to this. Yeah, but again, I think it's it's just a matter of being more sustainable and, and every little step matters. Now we've been sort of all around the plastics value chain, uh, left, right, center. So what do you find the most, most exciting about this field and uh, this area and the potential it holds? I'm actually really excited about the fact that we can displace fossil sources to a certain extent. I think our children will be much more aware of, or at least I try to make my children be more aware of, hey, you're buying this plastic thingy. What are you going to use it for? How many times are you going to use it? And I think it's both this awareness of how you use and reuse plastic to make sure that it's recycled, but also that we are making a difference. Everyone who's in plastic recycling makes a difference because every time we we reuse plastic in one way or the other, we lower the consumption of fossil. And this is the way we need to go. I think that is what excites me the most. What excites you? Well, a lot of the same things, I think. But it's it's two levels, right? It's uh, As consumers, we have a role to play and uh, it's very difficult, I think, to educate and to preach that. So what, what we will try to do in this podcast is to m- bring more the actual industry side, how things happen. And that is also where a lot of things are happening. I'm actually also excited about that this is not just one step, it's the whole value chain that needs to go from linear to circular and how to make that happen. How can we facilitate this? And I think we see this as in many other areas that this whole sustainability journey that the entire world is on is requiring us to work together in different ways to form more partnerships, alliances, work together and be much more aware of the holistic version of our world instead of just focusing on one step. Yeah, yeah. So so many moving parts and uh, you need to get them all to work together. Yeah, because every time you impact one step, you impact the next and the next and the next. So the future is interesting. <laughs> very, very, very. Yes. Melissa, this was the first of, of the episodes covering plastics. I'm looking forward to some interesting talks with different players in this area. Yes, so am I. I mean, we'll be uh, trying to look across the value chain, talk to some of the leading industry players and some of the thought leaders in the field as well. And I'm looking forward to be enlightened by them and uh, share the thoughts afterwards with you. Yes, I look forward to that as well. Thank you. Thank you. Stay tuned for the next episode where I'll be talking to Christo Wiede from McKinsey about trends within plastic types and feedstocks. Mm-hmm.